Bobby McDonough, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, it, it, it might be a little bit confusing because normally we'd have expected you on our previous uh, hour on the panel discussing um, world affairs. Uh, but today you're in to talk to us about being a life coach. Uh, what prompted this new departure for you? Well, I did feel a little bit, little bit nostalgic when I saw your previous guests <laughs> going out of the room. But um, I think uh, what prompted me, first of all, was um, Professor Ian Robertson, who's a frequent contributor to OTE. And he speaks about three things, change, challenge and learning as you get older. Change meaning change anything about what you do. Challenge meaning that you do things that um, push you a little bit beyond what you can do comfortably. And learning is about learning new skills. And for several years before retiring, I was I was thinking about that concept. And then shortly before I retired, I was talking to to uh, somebody who works in the private sector that, that I knew and about what I might do. And she said, um, you know, you're interested in people. Uh, uh, I think coaching would be, would be good for you to learn to be a coach. And I took it from there. I suppose as a diplomat, most of my career, I was always interested in people. Now, that sounds like a trite thing to say, but diplomats more than most people uh, move from one group of people to another every four years uh, to different nationalities as well. So, you know, I've always been interested in people and and understanding them and understanding myself. So when I retired uh, in 2018, the first thing I did was to sign up for the coaching course in Smurfit Business School, which I found fascinating from the very beginning. As my wife says, I used to go off to it with a, with a spring in my, in my step. And then when I qualified as a coach, I decided to do the advanced course, which brought me into knowledge of some variance in, in approaches to coaching. And so since then, I've been, I've been coaching a little bit. Uh, and more recently, I've decided to focus on that thing for which there's no proper name, but the period uh, for a few years before people move on from full-time employment and the few years after that, which is wrongly called retirement because people shouldn't be retiring. And I found that it's an area, both from people I've coached, but also from my, my friends and acquaintances, that it's a period uh, that can give rise to uncertainty and anxiety. And so I'd set up a website uh, focusing on that in particular, and I find it fascinating. Yeah. There well, it is kind of fascinating when you think to the past. Like when I think of you know my grandparents and and older members of the family, they were sort of given their proverbial mantelpiece clock, you yes. know, when they retired, um, and that was kind of it. And there wasn't really uh, anything really to mark that transition from employment to retirement or employment to the next stage. And you know, given the kind of world of work now where people aren't work, many people aren't working a, a job for life, that transition from employment to retirement or even employment to redundancy can be psychologically really, really very challenging for people, even the thought of it. Yes, indeed. We do. We do live on average longer lives. Mm-hmm. We're in a quite different situation to, to, to our parents' generation. And the next generation is going to have an even longer life. I think... Um, one in every two girls born in Europe in 2014 will live to be 104. Uh, so we do need to, if you, if you like, stop talking about retirement and seeing life as an evolving process. Uh, people increasingly dip in and out of careers. Uh, partners take, take it in turns to do the more intensive work and so on. Uh, and I think um, coaching is something 
in that context that can benefit everybody. It's not just for it's not for people who are unusual or exceptional or who have particular difficulties, but it's about creating a space for them to to work out the many exciting options that may be available to them. Yeah, and they might feel daunted by because our identity um, is so very often tied to our jobs, our roles, how um, we present ourselves to the world, how people you know perceive us, and for some people that transition. Um, can be quite devastating, you know, because they're, um, you know, there's always those studies that say, particularly for, for men of a certain age when they leave and, and and they sort of drop dead quite soon after they leave work or that they go downhill very, very fast because often if you are in full-time work, it, it provides that structure, doesn't it? Yes, I think you're right to say that it can be a greater problem for men. Uh, of mm. course, uh, women can benefit from coaching too and, and similar uh, problems of transition can arise. But on average, uh, women tend to uh, probably be less bound up in getting their self-esteem solely from their work and maybe to have a wider hinterland of interests and, and friends. Um, but it, it can be a real challenge for for almost all of us because uh, a lot of how we see ourselves is bound up in the work that we've done and perhaps to an exaggerated sense. And in a way, while I'm focusing on the period coming up to leaving full-time work and beyond, uh, it's really something sh- sh- people should think about all their lives, about transition, about work-life balance. So some of the problems that people face uh, when they move on from full-time work don't arise just at that moment. They've probably started brewing earlier on. And, and, and so there are many transitions in life and they're all interesting and important. But uh, my particular focus now is on that transition that comes that little bit later. Yeah, I'm thinking of Japan where I think after all the baby boomers all the husbands came home and there was a huge spike in the divorce rate. Um, <laughs> the, how did you, um, and I know you, you're challenged by that word retirement, but how did you look at it uh, when you were coming into yes. that phase and you were thinking, OK, within the next couple of years I'm going to be, air quotes, retired? Um, how did that process unfold for you, particularly in such a people-centred business as diplomacy. Were you terrified the phone was going to stop ringing? No, I was never terrified. I I was anxious. I mean, I suffer, Mm. like most of us, from a little bit of anxiety. But I was, first of all, inspired, as I say, by uh, Professor Robertson's emphasis on change, challenge and learning. And for a few years before I retired, I I opened a little folder for myself called Change, Challenge and Learning. And I would just throw in any any ideas that occurred to me. what were you thinking? What kind of ideas were you thinking? Oh, write a novel. Um, you know, I hadn't at that early stage thought of coaching, but uh, take up art classes, which I've subsequently done. Uh, maybe do a bit, bit of consultancy. I tried that and 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 and, and then dropped that. Um, so, and then I also took some deliberate choices in my late career with the support of the department, which was I. I moved from doing the most intense work, for example, being an ambassador to the European Union and, yeah. and in London, Non-stop. to a last posting, which is absolutely fascinating and interesting and important for Ireland, but to be ambassador in Rome, the most beautiful city in the world, but which was less less intense. And then I had a year at home after that before retiring. So I, in a way, I, gl- I glided a little, a little bit towards it and that, that was a factor as well. But it's not as if I found some magic answer. I mean, I, I benefit from coaching as well. And in my retirement, I would say there have been three phases. My first phase was where, uh, sorry, I've used the word retirement. It just shows you how did, we think in see? the wrong terms. I withdraw <laughs> that immediately. But uh, no, the, first, the first phase post uh, full-time work was to look at the options in terms of a range of options between A and Z and saying, you know, I'll do A, J, M and K, whatever. Um, and then, uh, and I did that. I did lots of new things, like, as I say, the art classes and 
But then I started looking at more in terms of a rolling programme. You're not absolutely committed to doing the things you initially decide to do. So I, I, I tried singing in a choir. I gave that up. I tried the consultancy. I wasn't getting a lot out of it. But then I, you know, I developed more the coaching dimension. And, and I'm involved in you know, commenting on current affairs, yeah. which I, I, I love as well. So that was my second phase. It was like, see it as a rolling programme. And, and the third uh, was a, a book by Roseanne Kenny, the professor of gerontology, yeah. of ageing in Trinity, who says in her book that by far the most important aspect of staying young mentally as you get older, far more important than, than exercise or diet, although those are important too, is friendship. That having friends... Loneliness being yes, often the, the exactly, biggest killer. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I didn't in a sort of ever in a conscious way saying, I must go out and make friends. But I did a little mental audit for myself and say, you know, between my tennis club and my book club and my, my art classes and so on, you know... Have I got a range of friends? Yeah. Is that part of my life fulfilled? So I'd say those are those are broadly the three phases I've been going through since since I moved on myself. Can I just chat to you about, um, uh, you know, the ageing population? Because like many developed economies, Ireland, and we were discussing it intensely on the panel earlier, uh, is facing a rapidly ageing population. And I, just last week, the government published a fairly uh, scary report which was saying our own public sector pension liabilities have risen um to 175.7 billion um, in 2021 compared to 149.6 billion a few years earlier. So um, do we need to think about ageing and working and so so much more differently now, given that we're facing that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, fortunately, it's not my responsibility. It's our politicians from government and opposition who need to do it. But there, there is a huge challenge. And like so many political issues, we need to get real about it because the cost of paying pe- people's pensions are going to grow. And whatever about official retirement ages, people are going to have to work longer mm. if they're going to live to be 100 uh, so as not to put huge burdens on, on younger people. And people then also have to start thinking about... Um, during their careers, the next generation, the generation or two after mine, about they can't work flat out. I mean, I worked, say, pretty well flat out from when I was in my early 20s to my mid-60s. But uh, it isn't possible to work flat out if people are going to be working beyond that to their 70s and 80s. So people are already working out that that dimension. But the one that I'm most focused on, if you like, is the small way I may be able to help people through, through doing some coaching because um, people... I mean, I should maybe just say a brief word. You probably know this, Darvel, but the difference yeah. between coaching and mentoring. Well, I was because, just about to ask because yeah. there's, there's coaching, there's mentoring, there's sponsoring, and they're all quite different uh, different things. And um, what is it? The sponsor is the person who speaks up for you when you're not in the room, and mentoring is that is that more during your career? Yes. The two things uh, that I'm more interested in are, are mentoring, but particularly coaching. And just the difference between those explains in a way what coaching is because mentoring is about me passing on my experience and wisdom to other people. If they're faced with a dilemma, I can say, well, when I faced that dilemma, this is Mm. what I did. Coaching is not about me or any coach uh, telling people or guiding people as to what they should do, although I can give a little bit of feedback on that. Coaching is the opposite. It's about creating uh, a confidential, comfortable space in which people can identify their own problems, their own options, and decide their own way forward. So if you take it in practical terms, Derville, if, for example, you wanted to be coached about work-life balance or about some aspect of your of your working career, um, you could, of course, 
talk to your closest friends or a partner. Uh, and that's probably a good idea. You could sit in a dark room for an hour or go for a long walk. That's probably good too. But there is a third way of doing it and possibly the most effective, which is to work in a confidential space with somebody that you don't particularly know uh, without the relationship or the conversation being weighted down by all the experiences of the past. And so it's almost that, a neutral space. A neutral space and where the person that you're talking to has been trained in a gentle way to help you to think through things for yourself. So that's essentially what, what coaching um, is. And what we're talking about here, it, it assumes we're talking about people who, you know, work full time. But for those who maybe um, is coaching suitable for other people who just want to make general changes in their life, you know, um, or is it, are you sort of focused mostly on kind of people who were in similar situations to yourself? Well, I honestly believe that coaching is uh, is for everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to say that everybody that I have coached has got something from it. Some have got a little, some have got a lot. I myself have got something both from being coached and being a coach. So absolutely, uh, there are many transitions in life, uh, transitions in relationships, transitions in jobs, transitions in levels of responsibility. And uh, transition is different from change because change is an external thing. I will do X and I will do it. But transition is about uh, changing in a way within yourself and and realizing that you must uh, have an ending for whatever it is you're leaving behind and move maybe move through a neutral space and on to, to the new challenges. So, yes, I mean, I have coached people at other uh, stages uh, of their lives, other stages of transition. But I just felt, um, coming to the idea in recent months, that there are so many people who are uh, anxious and concerned about the process of leaving full-time work mm. that I would focus particularly on that. But I do, uh, I have coached other people and there are many other coaches who, who work um, in those about, lifelong what, areas. What about those who don't, you know, um, when you look at other cultures and how they do it differently, like in the US at the minute, two um, uh, older men are vying for uh, arguably <laughs> the most important job in, in the world. Um, and you kind of look like, I mean, particularly, you know, anyone who's spent time or who's lived in America, you, you look and say, my goodness, people work well into their 70s, well into their 80s, you know, and then you compare somewhere like France where there was, you know, absolute outrage over the prospect of pension reform that other countries might go, your pension age is what? Yes. You know, um, do do you find that there are different cultural approaches to it? Yeah, well, I I think, you know, President Biden could probably do a little bit of coaching, but I think uh, his potential rival needs something a bit uh, rougher than that. Um, I'm not sure he would find his own way to to wisdom. But yes, of course, I mean, th- there are big differences in countries. I mean, one is struck in North America sometimes by seeing people working in jobs when they're much older than you would normally see them working uh, in Europe. Uh, and there are different Because they often return to part-time work or... Exactly. Yeah. And there are different, uh, you know, retirement ages, different pension arrangements. Maybe in large countries, some large countries or large cities, there are more options available for people uh, as they transition. But having said that, and I have only coached in Ireland, so I, I, I don't have direct experience of that at all. But my very strong guess would be that the differences in terms of coaching aren't all that great because all the problems are human problems. They're problems about relationships, priorities, identity. Uh, and uh, yes, I mean, some of the the external noise, the external um, context differs from country to country. But I, I think essentially the need that people have to to be to be helped to think through 
their own challenges is probably a, a universal Some one. of our listeners are sharing their own experiences. One says, Bobby, I've always felt, I always felt that I was like a fish out of water in my profession and it's only now that I've retired that I am finding my old pre-career self again and it's great. That's from Pat. Another says, um, uh, for the sake of balance, Bobby, I'm a man who worked flat out and retired four years ago at the age of 56. I've largely been lazy throughout these four years and I've never been as happy and contented. So pe- different people, uh, Bobby, have different experiences. But when you're talking about that transition, presumably planning then becomes key. So if you are thinking, oh, goodness, I'm going to be, you know, leaving work in the next three, four or five years or whatever it is, what are the kind of things that you need to be considering to facilitate that transition? Is it a a whole audit of your life? Well, I think there are a number of things because, you know, you should be open, as I say, to talking to your close friends. Um, You should talk, as some people say, to your network. But I'm not convinced that talking to your network gives you all the answers because talking to your network tends to point you inwards to what you're doing already. Um, But I think uh, beginning to reflect and and possibly to think of of coaching and to to do it quite a bit in advance, not two weeks before you move on from full-time employment, but maybe gently a couple of years before and then in the months before, maybe there are what are called pre-retirement courses, but we mustn't use the word retirement. You know, <laughs> Participate them in them if, if they're available. Um, but in a way to, um, to be prepared to go a little bit deeper into yourself, um, not in any way that involves banging your head against a brick wall, but in a way that helps you to understand who you are and what you want because in some ways the question that comes up most frequently in coaching is what do I want and it sounds like the simplest question but in fact it's the hardest question it's very very hard to know what you want it's possible to say yes I enjoy playing tennis or I enjoy going to the cinema but in terms of what really uh, is my priority and what I want for myself as I move forward in life that's a really hard question what about people who are um, directly impacted by your answering that question, what do I want? So what about the spouse or, or others? You know, if you're going through this profound uh, process of what do I want? Look, I mean, do you have to take all of that into consideration? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Mm. I mean, because no man is an island or no woman is an island, obviously, uh, you know, because what, what I want is not uh, a selfish or entirely introverted thing, uh, unless somebody is extremely lonely and isolated. You know, what I want uh, surely involves, uh, in addition to what I want in terms of personal achievement, personal fulfilment, uh, but very much related also to what I want in the human context in which I live, uh, my, my my family, if I have one, or, or my friends. And as I said, that uh, idea of friendship um, is not just, you know, because... I say it at all, but because the professor in Trinity of Aging says it's by far the most important thing to have a network of friends as you get older. Yeah, because at work, whether you like it or not, you do have a network, you know, and it's something you're, uh, you know, encountering every day and every week and then that goes away. Well, you, you, you mentioned the pre, we won't use the word that you don't want to use, but let's say pre, pre-transition or pre-departure uh, courses. Um the quality of them, I, I guess, maybe changes are some of them just quite short. Are they just saying, here's what you need to do about your pension? Or do some of them speak to some of those bigger life transition issues that people are going to experience? Well, when, when I did the uh, pre-retirement course uh, in the civil service, I, w- I was glad to, to do it. It wasn't um, a, a game changer, but it had quite a lot of 
useful information, uh, which is a different thing from coaching about you know pensions and financial aspects. And in some ways, it would have been to do, better to do it earlier, a few years in advance, than to do it a few months in advance. But there were also psychological pointers. I remember one thing uh, that one of the people giving the course said, and that stuck with me and that I've passed on to other people. It's very simple, but uh, he said... Um, when you move on from full-time work, if somebody suggests you do something or asks you to do something, do it. So, for example, if you're gardening and somebody says, do you want to go to the cinema? Say yes. It's a way of keeping yourself open to the change that I mentioned before. So, so I did, I did uh, pick up some things from that sort of, of course. Do you but worry about things like, you know, that sort of <clears throat> um, the value of proximity? Because obviously when you're in a role, um, you're proximate to decisions being made or proximate to things happening. And then when you transition, um, there's a value attached to being proximate to things. And then the further and further you get away from that industry or that sector or those networks can be very um, alienating for people because maybe it affects their sense of value and self-esteem if, you know... um, if they're kind of known as the form or something or, you know, that they, they feel that it might erode their personal value. Is that a risk? Yes, I think, I think that, that that's true. I mean, most people, um, if they're lucky to have an interesting career, feel very proximate to it. Mm. And there are definitely withdrawal symptoms, you know, including for myself, uh, moving on from a fascinating career and, and all the, the colleagues that I had. But I think it's important during your career also to have a hinterland and to try to realise that the person that you are, um, such as the person who phoned in there and said yeah. that she had discovered who she was afterwards, is we, we are not completely defined by our career. So I think what we, we have to do is to understand uh, what really matters to us in life, which partly involves our career as we're doing the career. And then we have and to be... And maintaining re- the hinterland now in, in, in your Absolutely. present. Well, beginning the hinterland yeah. and then developing the hinterland. Because as you say, in work, uh, you have a lot of colleagues... But colleagues are not the same as friends. Uh, There is an overlap between colleagues and friends. Uh, And I've had many wonderful colleagues. But when you move on and you bump into them, you like to do that. But in terms of friends, uh, the number that you take from your career is is a limited number. Uh, And I think it's important during your career and beyond to, to look for a wider uh, network that isn't defined just by proximity but by choice. Yeah, it's interesting. Another says, uh, Bobby, um, I've, I use the phrase rewiring as I finished work after 42 years. I'm loving it. I'm busy and I'm taking up old hobbies while keeping my hand in my area of work. Another says, Bobby, I retired last July. It only took me 47 years to get there and I now uh, do what I want to do rather than what I had to do. It's wonderful. It says Barry in Cork. And that's kind of a, an interesting, um, isn't it, as part of a transition uh, where let's say you are taking up, taking up new hobbies and expanding that and, you know, expanding the friendship network. But there are some people who do like to keep a hand in the area of work that they're doing. So that's an interesting transition where you're not leaving the field entirely. Well, of, of course, that's absolutely an option. Um, I mean, if people have enjoyed their careers, then uh, it's a very good thing that they don't have, you know, an absolute cutoff point from that. Um, but it's a matter then of getting the balance not to be determined by me or by a mentor yeah. or by anybody else. It's to see whether whether you want to um, move on completely to other things or wh- whether you want to keep a strong foot in the past. Uh, and that's... Um, there is a risk of being 
too much bound up to the past. I think, you know, I, I decide to retire at 64. I'm not setting myself up as a, as a model. Uh, other people will make, will make other choices, uh, obviously. Um, but I retired at 64 when civil servants could stay on until 70. And, and I did that based on instinct because many of the choices we make are based on instinct, which was that I wanted to retire early enough to to do other things and I don't have the slightest regret about that. I know another uh, another texter doesn't either. Uh, they said uh, early retirement saved my life. Um, talking about that sort of the new hobbies, do you throw yourself into entirely new things? Is that the goal or is it maybe to maintain something you had a previous interest in? Is the goal just to keep to keep moving, to keep connecting? Well, what I've done myself. I've done a couple of things that are connected to my previous career. One was to do some consultancy for for a big firm in London about European things. And that was interesting. It was a a lovely firm. But I I didn't particularly enjoy that aspect of... Too much uh, like work? Too much like work, yes. You know, following EU directives and reporting on them. Um, And the other thing I did is I'm now a sort of regular commentator on public affairs, on international relations, Europe-British-Irish relations, more recently on on the Middle East. That I do enjoy because uh, I'm still broadly working in the same area, but I'm a completely free man. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, guided by what the Department of Foreign Affairs tells Is me. Is that but very I, liberating for absolutely, you? Absolutely, yes. And, yeah. and I think we live in a in an era where civil servants are, are allowed, indeed encouraged to, after they've left, to become involved in public debate. And even when they are civil servants, to... Um, to be a little bit more free in what they say, for example, in the speeches uh, that they that they can give. But... Separately from that, I've done lots of things that are completely unconnected. I mean, the the first thing I did of all, which has been as much fun as anything, is setting up a book club. I mean, a book club has been fantastic fun. It's a great group of friends. It gets you to read books you wouldn't otherwise read. Art classes was another thing. I never did any art at all. Uh, You know, even at school, we had one class a week. Uh, And I just said, I'll do this, not because I think I have any talent, uh, but because I want to do something I've never done before. And also particularly important, particularly for people who have retired and perhaps are, you know, going to encounter the loss of a spouse or others in their lives. Having those connections and networks always proves to be really important. Can I ask you before I let you go, um, because it seems like you are continually uh, benefiting from receiving coaching how do you know when you're on the right track or is there sort of a sense of you referenced your kind of mild anxiety earlier where you're always just kind of checking am I on the right track like do you ever know if you're on the right track or do you is it trial and error well I think you can't run away from your personality I mean everybody Mm. has different dimensions of anxiety I'm not a very anxious person but I have a simmering am I doing the right thing what will I do next Um, I don't think there's ever any perfect point that you reach and say I have now reached nirvana I'm doing exactly what I want. You have to keep an open mind. But I would say that three things ca- could possibly give you a sense you're on the right track. First, if if you're engaging with change, challenge and learning, if there's an appropriate degree of stress in your life, of good stress. Secondly, if you're comfortable with your work-life balance and therefore a diminished sense of anxiety. And thirdly, if you have a good network of friends. And if you're there... Uh, everybody's different. It's an ongoing challenge, but you're probably on the right track. We probably are. And uh, someone says, join a hill walking club. It can take you all over the world with new friends. That's the best thing uh, that text ever did. But now for the definitely not retired uh, former diplomat and coach Bobby McDonough. Thank you so much. There's more information. I know you mentioned earlier, your website at bobbymcdonough.ie. Um, thank you for joining us today. And we're going to take a quick break. Thanks very much. Could I just say, if anybody yeah. wants to contact me uh, through the website, we could just have a chat. You're not committed to anything. I'd be delighted to chat to any of you. Absolutely. Thanks. And thanks for chatting to me today. Take a quick break. Thank you. Email brendan at rte.ie.